Our scripture reading today is found in John 14:31 through 15:8. Let's remain standing for the reading of God's word. I do as the Father commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Come now, let us go from here. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be found even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This is Academy Award Day here in Southern California. I actually wanted Steve Scheidler, who uh, prayed for us uh, and who works with drones, uh, to have a drone to carry the microphone down to Lynn, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, On this uh, Academy Awards night, we're going to be, or or day, I want to talk to you about what I'm calling doing something that is something. Knocked down, but not out, uh, doing something about something. Because uh, I was reading an article back last fall as I was traveling that here in the uh, entertainment industry, that the greatest issue that people who are trying to make it in the industry or who have made it in the industry, that the greatest issue they face is significance. I, I really didn't expect that because usually you think, well, especially people who are successful feel very, very significant. But the article is so interesting that as people try to make it, and many of you have experienced this here as you've tried to make it in the industry, as you try to make it, you wonder whether I will ever be good enough to ever get a position or to get a role or to get a job. And then for those who actually get, get that sort of a role, then they begin to learn that they're only as good as the last role that they played. And you start living your life based upon what the critics say about you and what other people are thinking of you. And even for those who are tremendously successful... 
uh, in the entertainment industry. Often they feel like afterwards they're only used by people around them, not, not for who they are, but for the things that they've done and the roles that they have played. Really, they're not playing themselves anyway. So they feel like, is there any worth to my life at all? And so we come to Jesus talking to us in, in a profound passage. And I've called it doing something that's something. I mean, something that really matters. Now, as I often do, I've been talking with so many of our uh, younger pastors about this, saying, I, I want to talk about this. And they pointed out to me something in our youth culture and in music culture that I wasn't even uh, aware of. And it's, uh, they called it a culture of YOLO. Now, they've sent me, uh, some of you know, I can know how old you are about whether you're nodding or not, or whether you watch Saturday Night Live, I I think. Uh, But it's an acronym, I put it here so you can see, it's an acronym for you only live once, YOLO, you only live once. And if you're in my generation or above, it's the same as what we thought of with uh, with a carpe diem, you know, seize the day. You've got to have significance to every day. Every moment, every day is, is supposed to matter. And YOLO, I guess in its best respect, is that. I want, I want to really live life well, a life that matters. But much more, the whole culture has taken on the notion of, I've got to take some risks. Because I only live once, and sometimes the risks are crazy risks. Um, like, if you read the news four or five days ago, the 17-year-old boy in Torrance, who took a YOLO risk and played Russian roulette and killed himself. Did, did you read that? Now, let me, let me say at the very beginning of this message that I think very few people live our lives with the hope that our lives are just going to be boring and meaningless lives. I, I feel like from childhood on, we want every day to count. I, I see that in my grandchildren. They want to seize the day. They, they want to enjoy this day. And if, if you start to get a sense that as people made in the image of God, a God who created, a God who is productive, and that he made us in his image, then you begin to understand that this longing to have our lives really count for something that's worthwhile is is a human longing, and you begin to recognize why it is that Jesus spent so much time in his very last day talking about this. And especially in the part of God's word that I'm going to talk about right now. It's John 15, 1 through 17. It's a well-known part of God's word. It's so significant that I've broken it into two different messages And in it, uh, we see Jesus talking to us about living lives that really matter every day of our lives. Now, what I want you to do is imagine being there. Um, For those who have been here, you remember that all the way back to John 13, as we began this series, I said this is the last day that Jesus was alive. He was spending time with his disciples, talking to them about how they were to live when he was physically away. Talked about the most important things because they were confused They left everything behind thinking they'd find life in him. They thought when he got to Jerusalem, he'd set up, you know, his big successful kingdom and they would have real meaning in their lives, positions of power. And now he says, I'm leaving. And remember, we have talked about how we're to live while Jesus is physically away. Number one, he talked about the fact that we have to to love one another and serve one another. We experience so often the presence of Jesus and the love of Jesus as we come together with our church family. And he he commanded us to do this. He showed us what it looked like as he washed people's feet. Uh, Then I came to that next message in which Jesus said, even though I'll be away, uh, trust me. You've got to learn to trust me. Even when you don't understand what I'm doing, and because whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it for you. 
And he said, I, I'm going away to prepare a place in heaven for you. So, so trust me. And as you remember, I tried to say, as you trust him, learn to wait for him. And as you trust him and wait for him, be faithful to him. Then, then last week, Pastor Jeff, if you weren't here, I want you to listen to his message. It was a powerful message that not only does he give us one another uh, to experience his love, not only does he tell us, now trust me, I'm worthy of trust, but he says, I'm not going to leave you alone. And we have to learn to count upon the presence of God's Holy Spirit. That person uh, that, that Jesus said, when the Spirit of God is with you, I am with you. It's better that I go so that he can come. Learn to count on the presence of the Holy Spirit. That with the love of God's people, with your trust in me, and with the presence of God's Spirit, you're going to make it through anything that this world throws at you. Then it looks like his, his talking to them is over. So, so you come to the end of chapter 14, and, and you see Jesus saying this. Now, I will no longer talk much with you. So come, let's go. But he's not done. <laughs> he begins talking again. You know what it feels like to me? It feels like some of my sermons. When I, when I, you know, sometimes when I get to those points, now the last point, but the last point seems to be longer than the rest of it. And, no, you've never noticed that. I'm so glad. I'm so, so glad. Uh, so Jesus says, I, I don't have much more to say to you. Then he says a lot more. And there's some of the most important things. So here's how I read this thing. They were up in the upper room having that last meal with him. He's been teaching them these powerful, wonderful things. Now they come down out of the upper room. They walk out into the streets of Jerusalem, walk out into Judea. Then Jesus sees these vineyards. I have a picture here of a vineyard, a Judean vineyard, on the side of the hill. And he says, let's stop here for a moment because there's something else that I have to talk to you about. And what he talked to them about is something they so desperately needed to know. And I think you and I desperately need to know. It's about having lives that really make a difference, that have meaning, that have purpose, that have significance. Because you've got to understand that there were 11 of these men left. And they had left everything behind to follow Jesus. They'd left their families. They'd left their dreams and their hopes of what they were going to become in their communities. They'd left their careers. Many of them couldn't go back to their careers. I mean, Matthew was not going to be able to go back to tax collecting. Uh, Simon was not going to be able to go back to politics. So what were they going to do? And with counselors and therapists so often telling us, especially men, but not just men, but men and women, that we find so much of our significance in our work, you know, in what we do. What were they going to do? Just, just walk around Jerusalem? Homeless? What, what, what were they supposed to do? And Jesus at this point speaks into them. Can you relate to them when I say all of this? This is one of the most important questions of all of life. How can I live a life that really matters and that makes a difference? And so Jesus pointed, I think, to that vineyard. He said, it's like this. I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser or the gardener. He's the one in control of all. As, as the branch, that is us, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So, so you see the imagery. It's of, of our lives bearing wonderful fruit out into this world. So the real question is, what is this fruit, right? What is it that when, when we abide in Jesus and he flows in and through us, what does he produce? And you can imagine preachers have said all sorts of things about this. Uh, some have said, well, the fruit is 
that our words and our lives will be used to lead other people to faith in Jesus. And I'll tell you, that surely is a part of it. He's going to pick that up in verses 16 and 27. But, but I think it's more than that. Others have looked at the context. You know, as we saw last week, he was talking about the Holy Spirit coming into our lives. And then when he gets done with this part, he comes back to that theme. So many say that when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and flows through us, he produces character in us. Character that reflects the very ways of Jesus. And I'll tell you, I'm sure that's a big part of it. But I think it's both of those things and, and so much more. I think what Jesus gets at is summarized in verse 8. What he wants to do in you and me is to produce something in and through us that brings glory to God. Now, if that sounds too religious, but by glory, he simply means that reflects the very way God is to this world. I've thought tonight, uh, when we watch the Oscars, God has planted us here as a church for a reason. This, this community of influence, Southern California, and we have been put here, uh, 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 and a big part of that is to glorify God, to let this community know that God is, and that He is ready to be known, but most people aren't going to come to church. And so he wants to do something in and through us that when we go into our places of work, into our schools and into our neighborhoods, people will see what God is doing and know that he is real and what he is like. Well, specifically, what are you talking about, Pastor Greg, you might say? Well, as I try to summarize what I see in the context of this and in the words of Jesus, I've just jotted down several things that I think that God wants to do the fruit he wants to produce in me and in you. So let me give you a few words. That when you abide in Jesus and he flows through you, there should be freedom. Look at verse 10. Freedom to keep his commands. Commands bring freedom? Yes. Because aren't there always things in our lives that when we do them, we say, I don't want to do that anymore. That's not the way that I should live. That certainly isn't pleasing to God. And yet when we try to break from them, we just don't have the strength to be different. And, and he says, if you abide in me, I'll flow through you and I'll set you free. From those kind of bondages. That's a part of the fruit. A life free to be what God created you to be. Second word, and, you, and you'll see it in verse 11, is a joy in this world in which, I'll tell you, there's a lot of joyless things that happen in this world. And, and in Jesus experienced one as he died on the cross. And yet, the book of Hebrews would say that even in doing so, it brought him a joy. Because he knew that God was going to accomplish a great work in and through him in our own lives. And he's saying to us that when I abide in you, that you're not going to be shaken by the things that go wrong. To the contrary, you're going to experience the joy that God still is at work. Freedom, joy. And the third word pulls you back into chapter 14, verse 27, where Jesus says, What I've come to give you is peace, shalom, the Hebrew word. Which is peace, but it's more. It, it's a whole life of well-being. It's a life that when you live it each day, that just everything seems to be in sync the way it should be. Have you ever experienced days like that? M maybe not many. Where there aren't, isn't that all that anxiety that is there in our, our, our world? And he says, this is what I've come to bring, that even when everything in this imperfect world is out of control and it could make your life to be out of sync too, that when I flow through you and you know that I'm at work, that that you will experience freedom and joy and shalom. It, it's, it's beautiful. I'm looking to see if you think it's beautiful. It is beautiful. And fourth, of course, the thing he wants to do in and through us has to do with the love of God. 
that the love of Jesus which has, has been lavished upon us will flow through us into the people of the world who need to know that they are loved. Loving people within our church and, and in this world as God loves people. Verse 12, he brings this thing back again and says, this is one of the characteristics of a person who abides in me. And all of this will then reflect, uh, re- result in that effective witness to our world, which he gets at in verses 16 and 27, that, that people will see us and, and they'll be drawn to God because they'll see the difference that God is making in our lives. If I can just put it this way, when you go out, you go to your school, you go to a place of work, you go back into your home, people are still going to see a, a normal human being, Right? I mean, you may not look physically on the outside any different from the way you looked before. But what they should be seeing is that God is beginning to do something in us that makes us different. And what is different looks more and more and more like Him. What do you think about that when I say what God wants to do is is to set you free to be what you were meant to be and to fill you with joy in this world and to to give you a life that is in sync and full of shalom and let his love flow through you and that when people see you they can actually see that God is real. Do you think that's beautiful? Anybody think this is good? Well, 12, 12, Uh, more. I just want you to know this is what I'm praying will happen in and through my life. And this is what I pray as your senior pastor, will be happening in your life because you're a part of this church family. And it just makes me ask, how, how, Lord Jesus, how can this ever happen in and through people like us? And in this text, Jesus stops by that vineyard and he says that this is the key. The key is being organically connected to Jesus. I can imagine some of you saying, that sounds like awfully religious talk. What do you do with that? (laughs) How can that be life transforming? Then I want you to listen very carefully to what Jesus says. So this life-giving principle, this life principle, that we bear fruit, this kind of beautiful fruit, when we are organically connected to Jesus. Look at how he puts it in verse 4. It's like a branch, he says, uh, to a vine. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So do you see it? Uh, Jesus said our relationship to him is like a vine to the branches. I have a picture I put up here. I know you can imagine that, but seeing it, I think it's going to be helpful to you if you can put that up there. You see, you look at it, you see the vine, you, you see the branches coming off the side. That's the way we are. And what can happen through our lives is that beautiful fruit that brings blessing to those who have come. It's such a wonderful thing. But, but what you have to have is an organic relationship as a branch to the vine. Uh, there can be no fruit unless there is an organic relationship where the life, the nourishment that comes through the vine can actually flow into the branches because the branch won't even be alive unless it's connected to that vine organically. Do you see the huge claim that Jesus is making here? He's saying that our ongoing, regular, daily relationship with Him is the most important relationship in all this world and the most life-changing relationship in all this world. Now, so often I preach about this, that you and I have the opportunity to have deep influence upon one another. Uh, Friends, do you know you influence your friends? Uh, They become like you and you become like them. And yet Jesus is saying that his relationship to you is of even greater life-transforming consequence 
than a relationship of a friend to a friend or of a, a teacher or mentor to a student. And as we try to get you involved as men, in mentoring people who are hurting in our community, we make the, the point that you can have a huge influence by simply having that relationship. And Jesus says, but this relationship is even more life-shaping. It's more, it's more significant and life-shaping than the relationship of a parent to a child or even of a spouse to a spouse. In fact, the whole point that Jesus is making is that relationship to Him, letting Him flow through us and change us, is the one who makes all those other relationships beautiful instead of self-serving. Because our natural tendency in all those relationships is it's all about me. But when Jesus flows through us, then like He served people by washing feet, like He served us by giving His life for us, our lives are transformed into bringing blessing to our friends and to our children and to our parents and to our spouses and to our students. See, there's this mutual, uh, beautiful mutuality about this. And yet, the illustration that Jesus uses is of being organically connected to Him. Letting His life flow through us. And I'll tell you what I thought of when I thought of that. I, I, my mind went all the way back to when I was in high school chemistry class. I had Mrs. Smith. She wasn't my favorite teacher ever. And yet, I think she was a good teacher. Um, and the illustration, and I think many of you can relate to this because people in the other services have. Um, we had uh, one lesson on the difference between inorganic growth and organic growth. Uh, so we, we had this, this uh, uh, experiment that we did. We brought in coal uh, or, or pieces of pot that, w that we could find. Uh, living in West Virginia, we had a lot of coal. So we brought that in, and then there was an alum solution that, that she set up, and we would dip it in or leave it sitting there in the alum solution. And what would happen with, with those things that we brought in, they would start to have crystals, alum crystals, begin developing on the outside. I have a picture here that you can see. Ours weren't as beautiful as this one. I'll, I'll just tell you this. And yet we saw it happening. We, we saw what we brought in. Really, it looked like it was growing. The, these other crystals seemed to be a real part of what we had brought in. But then after a few days, she came in and she brought a dissolved solution. And we put it down in the dissolved solution and all those things on the outside just came off. Because uh, organic growth is from the inside to the out. But inorganic growth can, just, uh, growth can just be a coating on the outside. And so you see what Jesus is saying here, don't you? He's saying you and I can show up in a church and, and, and we can just look like we're growing, we can look like Christians on the outside. We can learn to sing all the songs. We can know we should lift our hands when we sing songs. We can know how we're supposed to dress like Christians dress. Everything about us looks... And we might not be Christians at all. Uh, so, some people have sometimes said to me, Pastor Greg, why do you preach to your people as if there are a lot of people who aren't Christians there? And I said, it's because I think there probably are a lot of people in church who aren't really Christians. Because there is such a difference, and we can hardly see it at times, difference between actually being connected to Jesus by faith and allowing Him to flow through and change our lives from sort of just taking on a religiosity. All right, I started as a youth pastor. And so often uh, I would see uh, young people coming into the youth group, either they'd grown up in the church, finally got into the youth group, or coming from the outside into the youth group, and they really liked the other students in, in the youth group, and, and so they wanted to be accepted. You know what happens 
you start doing what everybody else does around you. And, and instead of listening to, to, to Beyonce, instead of listening to hip-hop, you listen to Christian music. Um, instead of reading things you used to read, you, you start reading the things that, that, the, that the Bible study leader tells you to read. Uh, you start sort of dressing like the other people in the group. You start talking like Christian. You even know how to pray that sounds like a, a real Christian. And so everybody sort of looks at that young person and say, this is amazing, look how that young person is growing. And then what happens, and it happens so often, is you get outside of that super saturated religious environment of a youth group or a church, and you get into the university, and you go into the fraternity, the sorority, and suddenly the dissolved solution is there, all the outside stuff just melts off. Oh, and the parents say, oh, the church really failed. And, and sometimes churches fail. Or, or, or sometimes they look at the university, those awful universities. It's, 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 it's all their fault. But you see what the real problem is. The person was never organically connected to God through faith in Jesus. It begins, let me just tell you, it begins, and John speaks of it so graphically in, in his first chapter, by receiving Jesus into our lives by faith. And when the maker of the universe comes into our lives, only one person can take over. See what I mean? Uh, uh, Receiving him in, it's such graphic language. We use it so often in church, we don't even realize that. But our children do. I I remember my daughter Heather, when, when we were asking her to receive Jesus into her heart, she said, well, I love Jesus, but I don't know if I want somebody inside of me like, like that. So literal, as children are. Well, we need to kind of remember that's exactly what he's saying. And then last week's message from Jeff, that when we, even when Jesus is not physically present, God himself is present in our lives. And what, what Jesus is saying is when that organic relationship happens in our lives through faith, it should flow through our lives. And this kind of fruit I talked about is what should be happening. It happens from inside to the out. And it's not something that's taken away. So, many times we think, oh good, then I don't have to do anything. As a Christian, I, I'm kind of like a tube. Just letting this... There, there are songs about this flowing through us. You can use this kind of tube theology. We just sit there and do nothing. And Jesus says, no, no, it's not like that either. This is one of those hard things to understand. It is, that it is all by faith and it is his work. But he gives us, as creatures made in his image, he gives us responsibility actually to sort of facilitate or allow his strength to flow through us. And so I, I wanted to come back to think about how it is that you and I can allow this presence and power of God to flow through us. And Jesus suggests what Christians have called throughout the ages several spiritual disciplines. Several spiritual disciplines as our response to his indwelling when he comes into our lives. Uh, Nine times in just these verses, he uses this word, your role is to abide, it is to remain, it is to be connected in in such a way that the the power can flow through you. And then within the context, he tells us several things that that are involved in this remaining and abiding. I, I just wrote them down. I wrote down four of them that I see him pointing us toward. And then I looked at them and I thought, when I preach this at Lake Avenue Church, all of you who've gone to church your whole life are going to say, ho-hum, I've heard all that before. And I thought, so have I. But the question is, do we do them? So I want you to ask, okay, what does he say? Number one, for the, spirit, for, for the power of Jesus to flow through us, we need to practice daily the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
See, this is what was said at the end of chapter 14. It comes up immediately again in chapter 16. Remember Jesus said, after I leave, I will come to you. One just like me. And he will dwell in you. He will be with you. And growing Christians that I've always met have learned to wake up every day and just know that God is there and to count upon his presence and to say, Lord, today I'm going to face a real temptation. I'm going to face a challenge, but not greater than you. Learning to practice consciously, daily, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Two, experiencing daily the love of Jesus by worshiping and serving together with your local church family. Now you might say, I don't see that, but I'll get you there. This is the point that permeated chapter 13 all the way, verses 1 through 31. And if you look at 15.9, he takes it up again. That one practical way of being connected to Jesus, of abiding in Jesus in such a way that he flows through you, is to be connected to, abiding with, and remaining with the church family that he calls you to be a part of. One of the surest ways that you can know a person is not organically connected to Jesus is when you see them no longer connected to his family. Uh, And if you say, where is that? Well, John certainly saw that Jesus was getting at that. And if you look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 9, there is a powerful statement. What was going on in 1 John later from this episode? What was happening is that there were a group of the people who had been in church and they had all of this kind of growth. They looked like the real thing and then they left. They, then they left. And, and John had to talk about that. Were they Christians? Were they not Christians? How can we tell? And he makes this powerful statement. I want you to look at it. I've written it for you so you can see it. Here's what he said. They, the ones who went out, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained. Notice he uses that same word. They would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. See, this relationship of the church family, even, even to experiencing Jesus, is such a thing that's hard for us. We're so individualistic to even be able to understand. Do you, do you remember when Jesus confronted Paul on the road to Damascus? He says, why do you persecute me? And Paul said, well, no, I'm, I'm persecuting these Christians. They get on my nerves, not you. And Jesus said, same thing. So one of the ways we experience the presence and power of Jesus is by experiencing through loving and worshiping and serving together with your local church. So practicing the presence of the Spirit, worshiping and serving with your family. Three, consistently receiving God's Word. Oh. Verse 7, he says this several times, but he says, abide, abide in me and let my words abide in you. And then your prayer will change and then you will bear fruit. All right. We live in a very visual world. I'm that way too. I even notice that when I pop a picture up here, you sort of notice this. We live, we live in such a visual world that we've forgotten the power of words. Um, so we have kin- uh, kindergarten kids out on the playground. They, they sing, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. False prophets, every one of those kindergarten kids. <laughs> because, because you know that's not true. That long after uh, a physical scar may have healed, that a word that is spoken still rings on and it is absolutely devastating. 
the, the Old Testament book of Proverbs says, in our tongue is the power of life and death. And let me just tell you, there is the power of life in this word. And one of the things that allows us to know how to think and how to be directed and how we're supposed to live is to be people who are receiving and abiding in the words. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then when the temptation comes, you will know whether that is right or wrong. Then when a decision has to come, you'll have a sense that this is what honors and pleases God. So consistently read the Word of God. If you're new to church, you can come to the Connect group afterwards and we'll help you to find a Bible reading plan. If you're absolutely new, I'll just tell you, start with the Gospel of John. Start what we're in right now. You can find that easily. Start with the Gospel of John. It is so easy to read. It is so beautiful, don't you think? Read it through several times. And when you get to the end and say, this is so wonderful, give me something else to read. I will. Um, not First Chronicles yet, but, uh, but the power of the Word to fill us. And then finally, obviously, spending regular times in prayer. Then, as my words are abiding in you and as you're connected to me, ask what you will and it will be done. Now I'm telling you, that phrase is ripped out of the Bible to mean the opposite of what it means. It means ask what you will. I mean, and by that, not to have his power through us and longing for his fruit to be produced in us, but I just want what I want. That can't be what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the production of fruit in our lives. So here's what's going on. You have some area of your life that just seems to be controlling you. You cannot get over it. How can I keep his commands? He says, spend time with me. Allow me to flow through you. I am greater than that temptation. Ask what you will and you'll be set free. Do you believe in the liberating power of Jesus over anything that you experience? You go through times of anxiety and, and worrying. And just Life seems out of sync. But when, when you allow Jesus to flow through you and you acknowledge his presence in your life, you know that he is greater than any of those things that you face. Come to him. Bring them to him. Ask what you will. And the joy and the peace of Jesus is going to be seen. Do you have a friend or a loved one that doesn't know Jesus at all and yet you feel so weak in anything you say to them? <laughs> he just says, let me flow through you. Let me, let me change you and shape you so that you love them in ways you never have before. Then speak to them. Ask what you will. And they are going to see the glory of God through you. See, that's the kind of thing he is praying about. And what he's talking about is this. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first to allow Jesus to rule in and through your life. And all other things will be added to you. So that's the practice of this. These spiritual disciplines. I pray you'll take them up. And now I'm almost done. But like Jesus, I have one more thing. Um, the result. This is the way that you have that fruit. That you bring glory to God. And again, that means that you'll be able to reflect by your life. It's amazing for me to think about his values, God's values, his love, God's mercy, his holiness. Verse 8, this is to his glory that you bear much fruit. You and I cannot do this on our own. We can't do this on our own. Instead, we simply have to say, my life is yours. Whatever gifts you give me, I will dedicate them to you. I'll use them fully to your glory. I'll spend time with you, Father, so that you can flow through me and make your glory known to the world through someone as frail as I am. What does this look like? What does this look like? So I decided what I had to do is to try to apply it to myself. 
I know that not many of you are pastors here, but you can, I think you can relate to the temptations and challenges of pastors. So here, I'll just tell you, the natural tendency for a pastor in the 21st century United States is to think that the way that God is going to be glorified is if I build a big church. And, and I do think that God could be glorified as, as people would just come flowing into the, to, to your church. However, perhaps even more, given the way we are, the local church pastor, like your own, might let it go to his own personal glory. Boy, I'm a good pastor. God must be really pleased with, with having a pastor like me. So, with that kind of thinking in my mind, I look around the worship center and I say, we got 5,000 seats here. Boy, God would get glory if it was filled every time. Not just three times, but, but four times. Notice that there are a few empty seats. You just, you, you just notice that. So what do, how, do, how do I think in my own way of thinking? I think, well, if I could just philosophize like Pastor Tim Keller, then, then it could be. Or if I just had the passion of Francis Chan, you know, if I just, then, then, then it would be. Uh, something, or if I just had the uh, courage of Rick Warren, just took all those risks, like like I always see him doing. Then, the, or if I could just preach so eloquently, like Bishop Ken Ulmer. If you haven't heard him preach, man, he's so. so that'll be the hardest one of all of these. And so I go, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work really hard so that God can get some glory here. I read and read and read, and I try to philosophize. I come up here and I rev myself up, and I try to close my eyes and preach like Francis Chan. Um, so uh, who else did I have there? I had Ken Ulmer. I, I'll never be able to preach like, like, like Ken. Uh, or um, oh, I take risks like, like Rick Warren. I live a YOLO life pastoral kind of a way. I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to wear an asbestos suit and set myself on fire and preach about hell. <laughs> you know, then this place might be just filled. And the reality is it might be. But, but it won't be to God's glory. It, it will be to mine. And I can tell you this, I only get to be tired. And I think most of you will think, this is fake. Because that's what it would be. So I come to the word of Jesus, and, and, and I hear him say, Greg, I've simply called you uh, to be there. And what I ask you to do is to be faithful, uh, and allow me, to, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, Ask what you will and it will be done and it will be not to your glory but to my Father's glory. Now, that, that, that's how I think this applies to... Do you think this applies to you in any way? Can you think in any way that this applies to you? Um, keeping in mind that you and I are only spiritually productive when we are intimately, organically connected to Jesus... I want you to know that the biggest problem that the disciples had in actually living this out, and I think you and I have too, is that what we want him to do is not often what he wants to do. So our somethings that we want him to do are often not his somethings. Look, look at verse 5 and just let this sink in. Jesus said, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, let's just face it. We look out into our world and we see a lot of people who are apart from Jesus and they sure seem to be doing something, right? They seem to be building big businesses. 
They seem to be the ones writing the papers. They seem to be the ones who are getting the fame. And often their somethings that Jesus calls our nothings are the very somethings that we want. They're the ones we beg him for. So how do we do this thing? I tell you, God has different callings for his people. As Karen and Jim, who are the head of the Hollywood Prayer Network, made so clear, there are people in our church and in churches all around that God calls into the entertainment industry and they win Oscars and, and Emmys. And, and that's wonderful. There, there are people who are intellectually gifted. They go to Caltech or Stanford or Harvard or any place else and get a PhD and write all the books. There, there are people who have tremendous gifts and are able to be, build, build big businesses and become CEOs. And there are Christians that are in those places. Because God sends people there as his witnesses. But it isn't uh, the position that, is get, that, that brings glory to God. It's, it's what we do when we are there. The vast majority of God's people, he sends into much less visible places. Have you noticed that? But whether we are in a visible place or an invisible place, God is ready to bring glory to his name through you. How? And the key takes us all the way back to when Jesus washed feet. That instead of you and me being in those places and taking the glory and living for ourselves or wanting to be in a place where we think, well, there, then I could find real meaning. That wherever he sends us, we go ready to let him flow through us and we serve people as he served us. We see every person he brings across our path, whether at work or at school or in our neighborhoods, not as simply coming across happenstance, random, but but a divine appointment. That God sends us where he sends us and brings people across our paths and calls us to let him flow through us. Reflecting his fruit into our world. And when we do that, when we abide in him, his words abide in us and he flows through us. All of this, our lives, your life, will be to his glory. So here's what I want you to do. Uh, every day this next week, I want you to wake up in the morning and take time. Are you writing this down? No. I want you to take time to acknowledge the Spirit of God is within me. I have received Jesus into my life. There is nothing in this world that I face that will be greater than that. Then I want you to get down on your knees and just tell Jesus that you need him. You need him to help you with your business, that you won't do it the way the world does it. As an employee, you need it to to help him... to have you serve that, that boss that gets on your nerves or that person he brings across your path. As the boss, to serve in such a way that your employees just can't believe it. He's watching out for us. He's wanting the best for us. Ask him to help you. Ask him to help you to live in school in a way that glorifies him instead of just reflects the way everybody else is living. Tell him you need him to help you remain pure. Tell tell him you need him to think good thoughts rather than bad. Anybody else think you need him for that? Can I have a a witness? Um, Tell him you need him to help you with your temper. Oh, you'll know the places where you need him, right? So just nurture that relationship with him. And I'll tell you what will happen is your life will begin to grow and the fruit will be born. You'll be set free. 
your life will shrivel the moment that that relationship, that daily relationship with Jesus becomes distant or sporadic. So I'm going to leave you with his words. I want you to hear Jesus' words on the last day of his life, transcending all the years and speaking to you. John 15, verse 5 and verse 8. Here's what Jesus says to you. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, thereby showing yourselves to be my disciples. To his glory. Amen. May it be, Lord. May it be.